0: Amen. I I I really love uh, what Pastor Greg just prayed for us. Um, I love what he said there about those the kids being an example to us. Um, So often, I think I I thank him for saying that because I I, that was an encouragement. So often we think about uh, the kids. And we're like, oh, that's so cool that they memorized God's word, that they had faithful, quiet times, that they did Christian service. And we want to encourage them to do those things. But the best way, I honestly believe this. Do you know the best way to encourage your children or grandchildren to spend time in God's word, to memorize God's word, to serve God by doing Christian service? Example. And you setting that example before them, them knowing how much you value God's word, time in God's word. And I know. Uh, You're sitting there thinking like, well, I can't memorize verses like I used to, and I can't memorize verses. You can do anything that God leads you to do. Um, Don't put limits on God that you have for yourself, that you feel you have. God can do anything. And so, man, what a great encouragement to not just say, hey, great job, kids, but to say, how can I grow in my walk with the Lord? How can I get into God's word? How can I memorize 21 verses in just a few months. I mean, what a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, this morning, we are continuing our series, uh, The Church Is, and we've covered a couple, uh, like, uh, quite a bit of ground already in just the first couple weeks we've covered already. And so thank you for being here today. If you missed out in the last two a we about what the church is, and in doing so, we talked about what the church is not. Very first week, we talked about the church is for Jesus. Amen? The church is for Jesus. The church is not for us. The church is not for entertainment. The church is not about creating an atmosphere. Okay. The church is for Jesus. And so everything we do as a church is for him. And as a byproduct of that, we are blessed, right? We are served as we serve others. And so we understand the church is for Jesus. So many people in today's day and age walk into a church with a very consumer driven mentality. Like, how is this church going to serve me? How is this church going to make me feel? How comfortable are the chairs? How long does the guy speak for? Amen. I didn't hear a lot of amens there. That's okay. We'll keep going. (laughs) What is the band? As the band sound really, really good. Like something I just heard on the radio. Like, does it look good? Does it present? Well, does it give everything I really want? And doesn't really ask me to do anything in return. Does the church talk about me giving money and tithes and serving with my talents? Or do they just kind of let me come in and just kind of hang out and feel good and go home? There's a lot of people that are searching for churches and they have a mental checklist. And when they go into a church, very rarely anymore, my experience is, is I hear other pastor friends of mine say, man, I had somebody visiting the church and these are the things they were asking me. And very often it's more like surface things. But I'm so excited when, when I get to talk to somebody or a pastor friend and they come and they say, Hey, uh, we're looking for a church and and I just want to know, like, what do you guys believe about God's word? Like, like, what do you believe about this? And what do you believe about the church's purpose? And, and how can we serve and how can we grow and how can we connect? And, and do you believe in preaching more than just one verse of scripture? Like, and I love those conversations because that shows me people are hungry for depth and to grow, not just surface things. In our church culture today, across our country today, this is not a North Goodland thing, a Michigan thing. This is a cultural thing. So many people have a consumer mentality. And part of the problem is we've created it to some degree. We've kind of catered to some of that, and then we kind of want people to feel that way. And I've shared it before. I know many churches that have done surveys Every so often, they'll ask people, like, what do you think about the length of the service time? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then they'll take that survey, and then they'll change whatever they're doing to match what the popular opinion of the crowd is. Now, I understand you take things into consideration. I understand you listen to the people of the church, and you change things. I'm all for changing methods and the way we do things. If it preaches the gospel in a clearer way, if it achieves the purpose of the church in a a better way, I'm all for that. But so many churches are in flux. And I mentioned this on a Sunday night. There was actually a church that, not in our community, uh, I think it's down south somewhere. I don't even know really this church. I just was watching some videos, and I saw some people from this ministry talking about some things they were doing. And they shut down for COVID and all of that. And, and this was in January of this year. They were talking about relaunching after COVID. Two, two years they shut down completely, just online. And they were talking about some things, and these two people who must be leaders in this church were saying that they surveyed the crowd, all of the people that were still attending the church, attending meaning online. And they decided that because many of the people in the church didn't really want to give up their Sundays to go to a building for an event, this is their words, They decided moving forward, we're just not going to have any actual in-person church gatherings. We're going to do it all online and make online content. Because, you know, it costs a lot of money to have a place to go to. And we don't really feel comfortable asking people to give money to something like that. And who wants to give up their weekend anyway? And one of the leaders in the church said, I don't want to give up my Sunday. A leader in a church literally forsaking the assembling of yourselves together... Because the crowd said, well, we really don't feel like giving up our, our weekend. We kind of like that Sunday morning sleeping. And so, to me, we have a church culture that is catering to consumer minded thinking. When the church isn't for us, the church is for Jesus. And if it's for Jesus, then we need to say, what does he ask the church to be? What is our calling as a church in this world? And what is our calling as a church as we gather? What are we called to do to be as a church in this community? And what are we called to be as the church, the individual followers of Christ as we gather? And so we've talked about the churches for Jesus. Last week, we talked about the fact the church is family and praise God that it is. So many of you that have been serving in our Word of Life ministry, as you see these kids up here, they're not your kids, but they practically are your kids. You love on them and you pray over them and you serve them just like you would if they were your actual children because the truth is in Christ, they are your family. And when we get excited for them, maybe you're here, you have no family, biological family connection to any of these kids, but you cheer so loud because you're seeing them as your grandchildren or as your children because you're so excited for them because it's family. And that's why I get so excited to do this. And I know a lot of churches would not do this on a Sunday morning. They, they wouldn't have all the kids up here on a Sunday morning. But I'm so glad we're in a church that values the worth of celebrating with these kids and encouraging them. So the church is family this morning. And I really do mean quickly. So I really do mean that this time. I don't always mean that. In fact, very rarely do I mean that. But I do mean quickly. We're going to talk about the church is founded... On Christ. Now, I know we talked about the church is for Jesus and its purpose and its intention and its drive. This morning, we're talking about the church is actually founded on the person of Christ. Go with me, if you will, in your scripture to Matthew chapter 16. So Matthew chapter 16. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are Bibles in the seats there. You're welcome to grab one and use one if you would like. Matthew chapter 16, that's going to be on page 684. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 684. If you're using a different Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. Just take a shot, go to 684, see where you're at. I don't know. Maybe you'll get close. But Matthew chapter 16, and if you're using a device like a phone or a tablet, that's cheating. You can just scroll there. That's not really cheating. I'm just kidding. I would have loved that, like as a youth group and sword drill. That would have been amazing. <laughs> How many of you guys know sword drills? Did sword drills when you were a kid? Okay, yeah. Any of you guys ever try to sneak that your finger in there? Hold that spot in the New Testament and kind of act like you're holding it right, but then drop it real quick? Yeah, you know what I'm playing with. We did a lot for Tootsie Rolls back in the day. That's all I'm going to tell you. We did a lot for a piece of candy. Kids today are like, I'm not doing that for candy. It's Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Powerful passage, familiar passage to many of us. But this is where we understand that the church is founded on the person of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. We see a great victory by Peter here. And often Peter has victories and failures that come pretty close together. Um, And I love that because we have those moments in our own life, do we not? Man, we're sore in one minute, but then something happens or we start thinking in the flesh and we're back down here. And Jesus has got to remind us of who we are in him and not who we are in the world. But verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, these are those 12. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am now son of man. There is actually a term for the Messiah. Mark actually, I believe, has quite, uh, if not the most, it's highest on or higher on the the name son of man for Jesus verse 14. And they said, some say, so this is a popular poll. This is an opinion. Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias or Elijah others, Jeremiah or Jeremiah, the prophet or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say you that I am? What a question that is. I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you're sitting here today, and you don't know Christ, that is the most important question you will ever answer. It carries, it's the only answer that carries eternal weight. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, I don't really know about Jesus. I'm not really a believer in Jesus. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. However you answer that question depends and determines where you will spend eternity. If you say, well, I think he was a good teacher. I think he was a good man. He set a good example. Honestly, if you answer that question, anything other than he is the Christ, the son of God who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. If you answer that in any other way, meaning you personally believe that and have accepted that, the Bible says you are lost in your sin and destined for hell. Those aren't my words. That's the word of God. So he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they give some answers. And then he says, who do you say that? That I am. Verse sixteen, and Simon Peter answered, because he was usually the first one to speak, good or bad. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is Jesus Christ establishing the foundation of the church. Notice first that Jesus poses a question of popular opinion Who do men say that I am? The answers would be John the Baptist, who has already been killed. So it's John the Baptist reincarnated. It's Elijah or Jeremiah, two very popular Old Testament prophets, again brought back, reincarnated. Or One of the prophets, one of the prophets. So some don't even know. They're like, well, he's one of the prophets. Come back. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't even acknowledge or dismiss those cultural popular opinions? He doesn't even spend any time on it. He doesn't spend time defending why he's not Elijah, why he's not Jeremiah. He just says, okay, that's the popular opinion. That's the, that's the family feud answer, right? Those are the top answers on the board. But he moves right into, okay, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus isn't concerned about what others think of him. But he wants us, he wants to use this rather as a teaching and a time of trial, time of testing for the faith of the disciples, those that should know who he is. So I encourage you this morning, you don't need to answer out loud, but how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Has he always been who he is or has he changed? Do you see him in the way the world sees him or do you see him as the word of God depicts him? See also we read here of Christ declaring the foundation of the church. And if you're taking notes, you can follow along on the app. The notes are on there. You can go to media, sermon notes, and you'll find today's outline. Or if you're taking notes by hand and writing them out however you want to jot these things down, or you can just see me after, and we can give you the notes directly. You see, the church is founded on the person of Christ. We see this in Matthew 16, verses really 16 through 18. Peter's answer is stating, and this is what he says, you are the Christ. What he's really saying is you and you alone, you and you only are the Christ. This is in a definite article. There's no doubt, no wavering, no uncertainty. He says, you are the Christ. And how does Christ affirm that answer? He says, you have actually said that because my father in heaven has given you that wisdom by the work of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't figure that out just in your flesh. My father had to reveal that to you. Notice again, is he affirming or denying his very deity? He's affirming his deeds as my father, the true heavenly father. Again, this means that he possessed deity as the son of the living God. He was not just full of God. He is God. He didn't just take on godliness. He is God. He is the son of the living God. Again, this was revealed to him by God, not in his own flesh or understanding. The the amazing thing is the spirit still does this work today. John tells us in his gospel that the spirit, when he came at the day of Pentecost, his ministry is to convict the world of sin and righteousness, to open our minds to understanding. The spirit does this. When you're sharing Christ with someone, they in their natural state are not going to understand who Jesus is. But the spirit begins to work and begins to prick the heart. And now they are made aware. Their mind is illuminated to the truth of who Jesus is. And they are brought to an understanding of either accepting or denying the gospel. The Spirit does the same work today that he did in Peter's life. Notice also the disciples do not argue with Peter's confession. James and John, Thomas, Andrew, none of them stand and say, no, 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 we disagree with that. We didn't ask you to speak for us. We don't agree with that. The fact that they remain silent implies that they agreed And Peter, speaking on their behalf as a group, which he did often, by way, not officially, Jesus never says, okay, Peter, you're the mouthpiece of the disciples. Peter just assumed that role. He said, I am going to say what we all believe, right, fellas? And that's Peter. He was so bold in his leadership. And again, Peter had great leadership, but outside the influence of the Holy Spirit, and outside the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it led to reckless behavior. But under the influence of the Spirit, we see a man that formed and shaped the early church. Notice as well the uniqueness of Christ's person, according to Peter. He didn't say, you are a Christ. He did not say, you are the Christ in the same way that I am the Christ, with a divine spark, which is popular more and more in progressive Christianity, that that, yes, Jesus is the Christ, but so are you. And you have the Christ in you. And there's new age teaching and and progressive Christianity want to teach us this. That we all have a little spark of divinity in us. That we all have a little bit of Christ in us. That you don't need to come to a saving knowledge of repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ. You already have the Christ in you. Just allow that to flourish in your life. And it's all nonsense. Do you know what the Bible says? That in your natural state, apart from Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2. You know what the Bible says? Not what the world says, or this author says, or this book says. The Bible says that all have fallen short. That there is none righteous. No, not one. You don't have a spark of Christ in you. If you don't know Christ, you have no Jesus in you. We have no divinity in us. We are fallen man in need of a savior. Peter affirms that by saying you are the Christ, the anointed one. When I hear people teach on these things, it just, it gets me angry because I, I see them leading people astray with things that sound like they could be biblical, but completely unbiblical. And in fact, blasphemous and even leading to idolatry. Peter knew that Jesus was no mere prophet or rabbi. Remember Peter's first declaration before Christ found in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. This is the miracle of the the catching of the fish. They go out. Jesus teaches from the boat. And I do love that story because he walks over to Peter and says, yeah, I'm going to go teach on the water. Uh, Get your boat in the water. I'm sure Jesus was nicer than that, but that's how it reads when I read it. So Peter says, okay. And he cast out and Jesus teaches and Peter's sitting in the boat just hearing this teaching. And then he stops his teaching. He says, hey, Peter. Cast your nets. We're going to catch some fish. And I always love this because Jesus was a carpenter by trade, we believe. And Peter was a professional fisherman. And if there's one thing a man doesn't like is another man telling them how to do their job. Amen. They're like, listen, if you did this and every guy goes, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Is that how we do it? Yeah. Okay. Tough guy. No, we don't like that. So Jesus, the carpenter by trade tells the fishermen, hey, go ahead and cast your nets on this side. Peter says, dude, we've been doing this all night. We ain't caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let the nets down. You guys know the story if you're familiar with it. What happens? They catch so many fish. They can't even get the nets out of the water. They start breaking. And they call James and John. Hey, bring your boat over. We got to get some fish out of the water here. And they start putting the fish in the boat. What happens to the boat? It starts to sink. There's so much weight. They get to the shore. And the Bible says that Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realizes in that moment, who is this man? This is not a normal man. He is Lord. Now, did Peter get it all right all the time? Of course not. And praise God for that example, because I don't get it right all the time. And I believe he's Lord. We all stumble. We all get off track. But Peter falls down and says, Lord, do you need to leave because I am sinful? I don't, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Would you just leave? And Jesus, being gracious, instead of just going, yeah, you're right, you're pretty sinful, I'm out of here. I can't be near this. He actually says, you know what, in fact, why don't you just follow me and I'll make you a fisher of man. That's salvation. That's the gospel. We acknowledge our sin. We turn from our sin repentance is calling out to God saying, I agree. That was sinful. That was wrong. Would you forgive me? He forgives us. And then he says, now watch me use you in my service that you would lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see the identity and divinity of Christ was the ground on which the church was founded. Church is not a man-made institution. This is another popular thing today. And if you get most of your theology from TikTok, I'm going to give you a good word of encouragement. Stop. Stop. If social media is where you go to for biblical knowledge, stop. Man-made institutions like schools and universities and all these things, the church is not man-made. The church was instituted by Christ, founded on the person of Christ, formed by Christ, called by Christ. Christ is the head of the church. It is his church, not our church. It's his church. Not only was it founded on the person of Christ, it was also founded on the work of Christ. This is the gospel. Jesus was not saying in this text, as some have misconstrued, that Peter was the foundation of the church. Peter is not the foundation of the church. The confession of Peter is the foundation of the church. You see that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that comes to save us from our sins. That is what Jesus said, I will build my church upon. That confession. Obviously, Peter and other apostles and individuals were part of the groundwork used mightily of the Lord in starting and growing the church. We read this, and you can jot these down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Peter was crucial in the book of Acts, really the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. Peter was crucial in the foundation and or the forming rather upon the foundation of Christ through the gospel. And in fact, he tells Peter here in Matthew 16, he says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, I give you these keys. So what were these keys of heaven meant to do? Where well, they were intended to open up the kingdom. To who? Both Jews and in Peter's case, the Gentiles. We see this in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and Jewish individuals came to a saving faith in Christ. Acts chapter 8, we see the Samaritans coming to a saving faith. People that were considered non-Jews, Gentiles, coming into the kingdom. And then just a the group that we call Gentiles... In Acts chapter 10, in these three different experiences, we see Peter preaching the gospel and people that were outside the kingdom. Now the doors have been swung wide and now anyone can enter in. Anyone can come through the door that is Jesus Christ. In essence, this fulfills what Jesus lays forth here in Matthew 16, that he used the apostles, the disciples, and many individuals as he's still using today To further the gospel. I love what one author said in regards to the role that the apostles and others played in the forming of the early church. He says this. Though his ministers are builders. They are but user builders. They are qualified. Employed. Directed. Encouraged. And succeeded by him. That's Christ. He is the wise, able, and chief master builder. Yes, we are building and working to the building of his kingdom, but we are just serving under him. He is the one guiding, equipping, encouraging, directing all that we do. In the original Greek, just quickly, I don't want to give you too much of this, but in the original Greek, there are two words used in Matthew 16, 18, that we need to pay attention to. The first here in verse 18, he says, And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That first word, Peter, in the Greek literally means a rock or a stone. A rock or a stone. The second word there where it says, upon this rock, that actually implies a cliff or a ledge, as well as rocky ground. So here's what Jesus is saying, that Peter a stone is involved in and part of the building of the church, which is founded on the solid ground of Peter's confession. And that is Jesus Christ being the Christ, the son of the living God. Some have believed this text to imply that Peter is the beginning of what we call the papal line or the line of popes that some in the Catholic church. I'm not picking on the Catholic church. This is just what they teach. That Peter was actually the first pope and then moving forward from there, all these other popes have succession from Peter. The problem is we see no evidence of anything to do with a pope until probably about 500 A.D. Peter is never seen as any higher or lower than any other apostle. There's no papal line being established here. Again, it's a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying. Here we see that he's saying, no, your confession, Peter, that is the foundation on which the church is built. John Gill, in his famous commentary, said it well when he said this. Peter's confession, containing the prime articles of Christianity, and which are immovable as a rock. That's the unshakable foundation the church is built upon. The solid ground that he is the Christ. The son of the living God. If you feel shaky this week, you felt your faith a little uneven this week. You felt being pushed and pulled by the world this week. Stop thinking your faith is built on you and your solid ground. Your faith is built on the solid, unchanging, unmoving, steadfast ground of Jesus Christ being the Christ. He is the Christ. Goes on to say this. That immovable as a rock, that solid ground or rather Christ himself, who points, as it were, with his finger to himself. Again, longer quote, let me continue. And whom Peter had made such a glorious confession of, and is comparable to any rock for height, shelter, strength, firmness, and duration, and is the one and only foundation of his church and people and on whom their security, salvation, and happiness entirely depend. He continues, Christ is a rock that is higher than they, where they find safety in times of distress, and the shadow of which is refreshing to them, and therefore take themselves to him for shelter, and where they are secure from the wrath of God and rage of man. I love that line, that under- And in and through Christ, we are secure from the wrath of God, which has been absorbed by the person of Christ, and his righteousness is given to us, and the wrath that we deserve was put on Christ. And yet from the rage of man, that mankind rages against the church, and the church finds its security in Christ. A rock that cannot be moved, that cannot be shaken. He is the rock of ages, in whom everlasting strength, And is the sure, firm, and everlasting foundation on which the church and all true believers are laid. He is the foundation of their faith and hope and everlasting happiness and will ever continue, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is the foundation of the church, not simple man, not even a confessional statement of belief, not a denomination. Although again, I understand why they exist, but our foundation is on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, not just in his person, but in his work, the gospel. Because this is true of the church, that the church is founded on the person of Christ and the work of Christ through the gospel. Our lives are founded on the work of Christ. If the church's foundation is Christ, his purpose, and his ministry, and his work through the gospel, then our lives as followers of Christ better be built upon the person and work of Christ. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, again, you can turn to page 829. 829. When you get to the letters, Galatians... Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are all written by the apostle Paul and Colossians chapter one. If I had to pick, I almost said my favorite chapter in in the new Testament, but that's not true. Um, which I'm always, it's always funny to say that your favorite chapter, your favorite verse, I know what they mean, but can we really just pick one verse or one chapter? I believe that changes as we go through things in life, but Let me say it this way. My favorite chapter in the book of Colossians is chapter 1. That's how I'll say that, okay? Which that's probably not even true. But Colossians chapter 1. I love this passage. Look with me in verse 9. Paul writing here, the Apostle Paul writing to a local church, gathered believers. Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the work of knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might like walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god goes on to say this in verse 11 strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father, which he hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How do you receive forgiveness from sins? It's not going to church. It's not being a good person. It's not trying to live a moral life. I'm going to break it to you. You can't. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. How does Paul tell the Colossian church they can be forgiven of their sins? We only have redemption through one avenue, his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins. You see, our lives are founded on the work of Christ, the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. All those things we just read are possible because of the gospel. Can I tell you, I like the King of the Jungle song. That was fun. I love In Christ that we sang this morning. I love that our children are singing songs that have depth and meaning. I am redeemed. I am restored. I am forgiven. I am free in Christ. See, those kids need to learn that because some of you learned and thought it was because you did something. Because you were good or because you checked all the boxes or because you listened to mom and dad. No, 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 no. You are only forgiven and restored and redeemed and freed because of his blood on the cross. You see, our lives are founded on the work of Christ. I really must continue through here. But let's let's look at some of these highlights. Colossians chapter 1. I'm just going to highlight some of these things. What does Paul say we have received through the gospel in our life? First of all, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. We have been delivered from the power of darkness. We have been redeemed through his blood. We have been made partakers of a great inheritance... We have been freed and delivered from the power of darkness. We've been redeemed. We've been made partakers of his great inheritance. And he doesn't stop there. He says, because of the gospel, we can be strengthened. We can be fruitful. We can be patient in suffering, not full of anxiety, but patience. We can be spiritually wise. We can be followers of Christ who walk worthy of the calling. Does that mean perfect? No, but it means faithful. I strive to sin not. To keep my eyes on him. And when I do sin, I cry out to him for forgiveness. And the last thing he points out here, which I believe is very, very vital to our Christian lives, is that we can be joyful. Do you see a lot of joy in our world today? I'm not talking about fake happiness because of money, substances, fame. I'm talking about real joy. Man, in the world's eyes, there's not much joy. There's a lot of hatred and sorrow, confusion. It's not that confusion. Genesis 1.27. Let us make them in our image, male and female, not real confusing. It's what the Bible says, not what I say. It's what the Bible says. But this world is full of confusion and chaos and hopelessness, and they're looking for something. How do we have real joy? How do we have real peace through understanding what Jesus did for you when you weren't worthy of it? He loved you that much. You see, this is just a sample of all the work of Christ. That is brought into our lives. He is and was able to do this because the gospel work that he performed and who he is as the person of Christ. Our lives are founded on the work of Christ, the gospel, and as well, it is founded on the person of Christ. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is my favorite chapter on the right-hand side of the page in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Praise God that Romans 6 says that if we've trusted in Christ, we are risen with him. We are with him. Newness of life. But he says this. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So we are risen with Christ. But then he says, but your life is, you're you're dead in Christ and it's hid in Christ. You know what that means? That when we surrendered to him and we repented of our sins, our flesh was crucified and we were we were killed in the sense that our flesh was put to death. But then our new life began. Our eternal life began. And we were resurrected to a newness of life. Our old man is put away. Our old flesh is put away. Does that mean it won't peck at us and tempt us and call to us? Of course it will. But there's no victory over us. Our life is hid with Christ. We are in him and with him. And if that's the case, then we set our eyes on things above, not on things below. That means you don't get discouraged when things go crazy in the world. Because our eyes aren't set on the things below. They're set on the things above. It means when things don't go our way or the career doesn't work out or we don't get the promotion or we don't have all the stuff that our neighbors do, we don't worry about that because we're not chasing after material possessions. We're chasing after Christ. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so if those things come, praise God. If they don't and they're taken away, praise God because my eyes are fixed on him. I love seeing these children sing songs that drive their attention to Christ. Our salvation from sin, our peace with God, our joy, our security, our life is hidden in Christ. And because of Christ, for the glory of his grace. So how would you answer the question that Jesus asked you, who do you say that I am? We are quick to say that he is Lord, that he is the Christ. If you're a follower of Christ and you've been in church a long time, you'll just say that answer. Because that's what you're supposed to say in church. That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Of course, it's Jesus. He's Lord. In my reading of the gospel of Luke this again, again, this week in my morning readings, this jumped out to me again. Luke chapter six and verse 46. I'm just going to read it. Jesus speaking here says, and why call you me, Lord? Lord, and do not the things which I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things I say. Oh, he is Lord. He is Christ. Is your life matching your confession? Or practically, are you living as though you are Lord of your life and you are the one in charge? When we say he is Lord, we say we worship him and he is our life, but is that evidenced in our obedience. Is Jesus the foundation of your life? Are you building your life upon him, his person, and his gospel? If you know Christ as your Savior, then I can tell you he is the foundation of your life. Now we just need to live in agreement with that truth. And we let him lead us. If that is the desire of your heart, do not let it remain merely a desire. Don't let it be like that New Year's resolution that many of you don't even remember. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not naming names. We all have these desires. I want him to be Lord of my life. Stop letting it be a mere desire. Put it into practice. Surrender and submit to his authority. Obey, choose holiness, and watch him lead you and guide you. Let it be evident in our actions, our attitudes, and our words. And when we blow it, as we all do, as I do, we confess, we repent, and we ask God, Lord, give me strength to not do that again. Give me wisdom to do it the right way. Let us seek Him in prayer and study, sharing His gospel with all that we can for His glory and live an abundantly joyful life for the Lord. Not because I am my foundation, my career is my foundation, my finances are my foundation, where we think we draw all of our hope, all of our joy, all of our peace from. And When those things are taken away, our lives crumble. Why? Because it was built on a shaky foundation, on sinking sand. So many people have learned that the hard way. But man, when we build our lives on the person and work of Christ, when anything happens against us, our lives remain. Why? Because it's not on a shaky foundation. It's on the solid ground of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we spend some time in invitation? I'm going to ask you there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, just spend some time with the Lord this morning in prayer. I'm going to ask that you begin to seek the Lord right there where you are. How would you, right there between you and God, He knows your heart. You, you can't fool Him. You can fool me, you can fool other people. You can make people think you're Christian by just playing the part, knowing when to say Amen, when to stand to sing, knowing the books of the Bible. You've been to church a long time, maybe even been baptized at some point in your in your past. You try to be a good person and you do good things and you give tithing and but right now between you and the Lord. No one else. Don't worry about anyone else. Think about anyone else. This is you and the Lord time. If Jesus was sitting in the chair next to you, he said, hey, who do you say that I am? If you were honest with him, would you say to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If that's your belief this morning, and you know you're a follower of Christ, then would you ask yourself the next question? Are you building your life on that foundation? Do you get your identity from that truth? See, if the church is built on the foundation of Christ's person and work, then our lives need to be built on the foundation of Christ's person and work. If you're here this morning and you would say, I, if I'm honest, I don't know that I believe he is the Christ. I've not practically believed that, receiving his salvation. Then you can make that choice this morning. You can call out to him. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. He will do so because his word says he will turn from your sins and trust in Christ, believing he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again. And he will grant unto you eternal life. Whatever God is doing this morning, would you follow his lead? Father, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we don't have to invite you into this place or convince you to do anything. We know you're already working. So we thank you for that work that you do to convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us in where we need to be encouraged. And Father, in all these things, we ask that you would glorify your name. If someone here doesn't know you as their personal Lord savior, either in person or online, I pray they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. That we would answer that question, not just with with lip service, but with a heart of belief. This is who you are. May I live in a way that evidences that truth. Father, thank you for all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you come and pray? You know you're not been founding or building your life on the foundation of Christ. Would you come and say, Lord, help me to make some changes. If you need to know Christ, I'll be up front here. I'd love to talk to you about that. You can come and respond as we sing this morning in worship.